Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from Pleasant, Pleasant Grove. Steve Edwards. Howdy from Portland. Dan Shapir. Hi, from hot and sunny Tel Aviv. Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week we have a special guest, and that is Felipe Nevola. Felipe, do you want to introduce Hello. yourself? Let people know who you are and why you're famous. Yeah, sure. Like, I am from Brazil. My name is Felipe Nevola. And, but right now I am in Portland as well. <laughs> so I am in the US, but I live in Brazil. And right now I am the CEO of Meteor.js, and we are here to talk about Meteor.js. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and so many other nice positive adjectives. Let's look at some of their highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use Shortcut's default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight VCS integrations. Whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, Shortcut ties directly into them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard-friendly as their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing in the trash. Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try at shortcut.com slash devchat and get two months free. Again, that's shortcut.com slash devchat. Shortcut, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Cool. That's really cool. Where in Brazil are you from? I am from, originally I'm from Sao Paulo, but now I'm living the countryside. It's called Mato Grosso do Sul. And if you want to check a place there that is really famous in Mato Grosso do Sul, it's called Bonito. That's the same word for beautiful in Portuguese. And it's a beautiful place. So you should check it out, Bonito, and you should visit there sometime. For sure. I love Brazil. Awesome. And yeah, you know, you said you're the CEO of Meteor and we're going to be talking about Meteor. We were talking before the show, and I think Dan rightly pointed this out. There are a lot of new people consistently coming into JavaScript. And I remember that Meteor kind of made its splash where people would have heard of it a few years back. So you want to just remind people or let people know what it is, and then we can kind of roll into maybe what's new since the last time we talked about it on this show. Sure. Like Meteor is a full stack platform to build systems with JavaScript. So we support web development and we also mobile development. You can integrate Meteor with React Native or with Cordova. That's a choice that you can have. If you choose Cordova, we have a few tools that you can just like hit a few commands and you're ready to go. Like you have like a wrapper with the web view and everything works for you. So in my opinion now, like Meteor is a very good choice if you are trying to build a company, because as we have like almost 10 years of like experience in development in Meteor. So we have a lot of patches and a lot of features ready for you to use. So that's basically what Meteor is. Like it's a very nice way for you to start your JavaScript app. So you just like need to hit Meteor create. So you have your app running and you start to develop it and you can choose a bunch of frameworks to use with Meteor, like in the UI layer, you can use React, you can use Vue, you can use Svelte, or you can use Blaze, that you can talk a little bit about Blaze in the f later. That was a framework that was created inside Meteor, but right now you can use Meteor with any UI framework. And we use Node in the server, so it's 
pretty standard JavaScript, but we just have some facility for you. So we have some features that are ready to use. So you don't need to worry about like Webpack or configurations of your build, like some pipelines. You don't need to worry about any of this. Mitchell just deliver everything for you in a single package and it's always working. And we have more control because we have like a specific version of Node. So we know our packages are working there. So we have a little bit of more controlled environment with Mitchell. So you said a couple of things there and at least and I and I would like to unpack some of them uh, and to begin with when people think about frameworks in JavaScript what usually comes to mind is the MVC model and recently more the the view the the V because of react etc which kind of emphasized that part but uh, based on your description it seems that meteor is actually something else so if you can explain exactly what is the role of Meteor. What does Meteor provide in the context of building a web application if, like you said, I'm actually going to use it with React or with Svelte or with some other framework for the actual uh, V part of the MVC? Yeah, that's a great question because even in surveys, when people put Meteor like as a backend or as a frontend, it's hard to put Meteor in a single spot because Meteor does maybe too much. But what we do, like when you create a project with Meteor, like we connect your backend with your frontend for you, but you don't require that you use a specific like frontend framework. So for example, if you when you create by default right now with Meteor, you have your React app running for you, but you can also use like dash dash view view, so you have a view app running for you. So we are basically like all the skeleton that you need to have an app. And Meteor is more than that because we can split Meteor in two parts. We have the tools where you have the bundle, we have a compiler, we have everything for you. So you can use the latest JavaScript and you are sure it's going to work all the time because we have the same node version in each specific version of Meteor, we have the same node version. So for sure, it's going to work for you. So that's the first part. We have these tools to make your server to run in development mode, in production mode. We have all these tools for you to do that. And we also have the runtime environment where we have a few packages. You need to remember a little bit about this the story here because Meteor, it was created like before NPM or kind of the same time of NPM. So we also support NPM packages, but we also have what you call atmosphere packages that are packs that have some special features so we can also use these packs in runtime and that's really the magic of Meteor because when you start a project with Meteor you can already get a lot of packs that does for example authentication for you that does you like web requests for you so you don't need to do all this in all your applications because you have Meteor packs that does that for you so Meteor is a combination of some tools that you use when you are developing and you also have some packs that you use in runtime so Meteor is very flexible because you can just like remove a package, add an EPM package to do what the package was doing. So it's like a, a whole platform. And on top of that, we also have Meteor Cloud. You can deploy a Meteor app in any cloud that you want. But if you want to have like this with just one single command, you can also use Meteor Deploy. So we have a cloud that was designed for Meteor. And Meteor has a very important concept of like connected clients. So when somebody's connected in our Meteor app, by default, we have a WebSocket connection, so we can synchronize the data very easily. Like you can also turn it off this feature and you can use like GraphQL or REST, but you also offer this as a package. So again, like we have a bunch of tools to, to make your life easier, 
developing with Meteor. And we also have a bunch of packages to make your app easier to be developed. If I recall correctly, one of the main attractions of Meteor, at least that well, what it was back when I looked the last time that I looked at it, was that it had this concept of magically synchronizing data between the front end and the back end, sort of like an optimistic synchronization, if I recall correctly, that makes it possible for you to work in the front end with the, your, your data, with all your data, is if it's all residing in the front end and you can all work with it completely synchronously and you don't have to uh, wait on various network operations and you don't have to uh, worry about uh, synchronization and stuff like that. And it's all done uh, automatically for you. Is this still one of the main selling points or, or is it now something else? Oh, I believe that's still the main selling point, especially for apps that need the real-time features because the idea behind the magic is that we have we are watching your database usually mongodb so we know everything that's going there and you have a system that you call PubSub, a publication and subscription system that we can reproduce your database, of course, with some constraints in your client side. So in the client, you have something that we call Minimongo. So it's like a mini MongoDB where you have like the basic API of Mongo there as well. And that's really powerful because, as you said, you can kind of compensate the latency from your request because as you have the same API in the server and in the client, when you execute, for example, an insert in your database, we can execute this insert first in your client so your users can see the result immediately. So this is really magic because you can see the result immediately and afterwards, Meteor is going to propagate the same insert in your MongoDB. And everything works like as I'm explaining, like you don't need to worry about writing like two different codes and synchronizing the state because Meteor is going to synchronize for you. And of course, you can imagine that that's requiring some work in the server. We have something that's called like merge box that's trying to to compare the difference and just send the difference like that are necessary for the client to avoid using a lot of network. So over time, with the community help, Meteor has added a lot of features on top of that that you can improve the performance because if you have like a lot of connections, maybe that's going to be heavy on your servers. So we have a way, for example, that you can plug Reds. I think you know like the Reds database and we can use the Reds as this cache point to intermediate your requests. So you don't need to read all the data from the uplog in MongoDB. So over time, I think that's the difference from the DDP, that's the name of this protocol, to transfer the data in real time. Over time, we have improved it a lot and we have more plans to improve it even more. So today, people can really scale with Meteor. Like we have companies like doing online events with Meteor where all the clients are connected in the same time. And of course, you are in an event, you are watching like a Zoom call. So it needs to be interactive. And we can provide this today with Meteor because we have improved a lot, like the basics that we had like eight years ago, seven years ago. So that's why Meteor is so compelling today for real-time apps. So if, for example, I'm developing a multi-user game, just as an example, because it's an understandable example, and I've got all sorts of uh, entities, all the players in the games, maybe some uh, AI control entities, and I obviously want to project 
the same kind of virtual world over, uh, to all the players in the game. So obviously it needs to be synchronized for everybody. But I also want like a central uh, source of truth, which is the backend uh, server. Meteor kind of takes care of all this uh, effort for me, right? Yes, exactly. Like game is like a topic that's really nice with Meteor because of the real-time nature of Meteor. So let's suppose you have a collection that you can call a session. Suppose that you have like three multiplayer, three players connected to this session and you have like some deposition of the word so the characters can move like in the same time. So if you publish this position to your MongoDB in the server, Meteor is going to propagate for all the connected clients automatically for you. So you don't need to worry about, low. now I need to send or you don't need to worry about creating a pooling. Like that's going to happen automatically for you because Meteor is going to send this message to the WebSockets and Meteor is really optimized for the network. So if you have a low bandwidth, it's really good because Meteor is just going to send the fields that are going to be different. Like Meteor is not going to send like the whole objects. So if you're just updating the position, Meteor is just going to send this specific field. Even if this object is huge, but in the network, Meteor is going to change send just the field that is changing. So it's going to be just like one number. Imagine that it's going to be really fast, right? Because you are even if your network connection is not the best with your users, it's going to send just one number, one number, and it's going to move the map. So it's really it's really great. That's it. I'm building Google Docs. Yeah, Google Docs. Like we have a lot of products built with Meteor. That is one that's called Qualia. It's a real estate business and they are using Meteor from the early versions. And they say it's really helpful for that because they need to manage a lot of documents for the real estate transactions. So Meteor is really powerful because they can synchronize the documents really fast and multiple people can see the documents live in the same time where they are changing, like they are approving. So it's really nice for like this kind of admin systems where you need to manage a lot of information and you don't want to refresh all the time to see if your partner has uploaded a new file and you don't need to implement this code because this protocol that's called DDP is already doing the work for you in the back end. So you don't need to worry about up- updating all the time. And also with React, that works really well because like React is based on React reactive data and Meteor also it is, ba- is building the same idea. So they connected really well. So we have hooks for React. We also have for Vue, we also have for Svelte. But for React, I think the two concepts, they match really good together. So we have like a, a hook that's called, for example, use tracker. Tracker is the component of Meteor that does this magic in the client. So your data is going to be always up to date. And as React is really good, like re-rendering stuff. So this is really fast in the client as well. So basically, you're using Meteor as the state management for uh, React instead of something like a Redux or a Mobix or something like that. You're plugging React as the front end to to the model and controller that is Meteor, correct? Yes, I, I mentioned React here, and I don't want to be, the community to be mad with me because a lot of people in the community they are using like Vue or they are using Svelte or they are using Blaze. React was just one example because I prefer React in my project, but it's just a personal preference here. But yes, you you can use Redux or you can use Mobex. But in this case, as you have already your database in Minimongo, maybe you don't want to. And I just want to highlight that just one option inside Meteor to use everything that we are talking here about the data, you can also use like GraphQL. 
Like I, I have a big project that I have developed myself that was using GraphQL. And it's really nice as well because you can use the same WebSocket to transfer the data using Apollo. So you can use Apollo backed by a WebSocket instead of HTTP. And that save you a few times in the handshaking and everything. So it, And it's really powerful as well. So we have a lot of flexibility today in Meteor. That was not an option like five or six years ago because the ecosystem was not that improved at the time. But now we have a lot of great UI frameworks and also a lot of great data layers. So you can use them with Meteor if you prefer. And sometimes you can use a combination. Like I really like a, a, something in Meteor that's called methods. What is a method? A method is just a RPC call that you can do with Meteor, just like providing a string to identify your method and you can send data and get data back. So sometimes I have a project that I'm not using like publications because I don't need real-time data, but I, I want to send some data to the server very easily. I can just write some methods. So you can use this together and you can have a very productive like app because you can do like, oh, if this is the best way to tackle this specific problem, you have the tool there because Meteor provides a lot of tools and packages for you. So real quick, you've mentioned React, Views, Velt, and Blaze. The only other big-ish framework I haven't heard you mention is Angular. Do you support Angular? We support Angular as well, sorry. Yeah, our Angular tutorial is the only one that is not up to date, and we are working on that, but we also do support Angular. I think we have people using the version 11. I think the latest version is maybe 12, but I believe we also support okay. the 12. Yeah, yeah. but we, we do support yeah, Angular, and we have a tutorial for that. Yep. So the other question that I guess I have is, in order to make this work seamlessly, I'm assuming I just pull in an NPM package that's like React, Dash, Meteor, or something like that, right? Yeah. To use React, you don't need any Meteor package. You just install React as you install in any other projects because it's always important to remember that that Meteor is still like Node.js in the server and it's still JavaScript in the client. So there is no difference here. You install any PM package in exactly the same way. The only difference is that Meteor is going to fix for you the version of NPM and the version of Node.js. And that's not a limitation. That's a constraint that you put there so you can be sure that Meteor is really working this specific versions, but you can install any packages. Where sometimes it's a little bit different is like if your package is depending in a specific compiler. Like if you have a package, for example, like React Refresh, that's the way to hot mode replacement in React. And if they have an integration with Webpack, Meteor is not using Webpack by default. You can use Webpack with Meteor as well, but you're not using by default. So you need to see like how to use like hot mode replacement with Meteor. And that's also possible. So when you have a compiler or like a build tool in the middle, then maybe you need to check if this build tool is compatible with Meteor or you can find an alternative. But in general, most of the the libraries on NPM, you don't need like a build tool. So it's going to be plug and play. You just install it and use it in the exact same way as any other app. And since you provide the wrapper environment, I have to ask, what about uh, TypeScript support? We also do have TypeScript support. So we have a package, a Meteor package that's called TypeScript. And on this package, we, su we have the support. And what is nice about Meteor is that you can write your own packages even in the in the build phase. So we have some community members that they, oh, I don't agree the way that Meteor is reporting like the TypeScript errors. So they have their own packages to report TypeScript errors in a different way. Mm -hmm. So that's also possible because we have hooks for basically everything in Meteor, including the build step. So you can customize your build step, the way that you reload the code. So the community, usually they create different versions of the same solution because some people prefer in a different way. But TypeScript, I think, 
a lot of people are using today in Meteor. And you can you just include a package and you're ready to go. And that was like also true when ECMAScript was not available yet, like for everybody, ECMAScript modules, and Meteor was already supporting it. So you just need to include a package, ECMAScript package, and you're ready to go with ECMAScript. Like Meteor used ECMAScript for a long time. In YO, a lot of people are waiting for a new version of Node. But as you have the control of the build tool, we, you can use TypeScript for a long time in ECMAScript as well. So I'm kind of imagining, I mean, I was joking a little bit about building like Google Docs or Google Sheets or something, right? But it seems like it's those kinds of concurrent apps that are really the sweet spot for Meteor. And that's not to say that it couldn't handle the other like 80% of cases that a general, that the rest of the general purpose frameworks could also build, right? With a general purpose backend and a general purpose front end. But it seems like Meteor really kind of has the WebSocket asynchronous auto update kind of piece built in and built in in a way to where I don't have to go and fuss with it. And so am I reading this right or am I missing the point of what Meteor is really aimed at? Yeah, I think you you are right because when you want to build an app like a real-time app, I think Meteor is really like the best way to do it today. But if you're going to build a different type of app, maybe you are in the same position. I don't think we are behind. I think you are like, okay, you're going to have basically the same benefits, but maybe you don't need to install a lot of stuff because you just like install Meteor and you're ready to go. You don't need to worry about like all the build tooling because it's done for you. But I think because you can do the same things. So it, it was not fair to say like, oh, the Meteor is also better in this like a simple project because it's going to be basically the same, maybe a little bit easier in general. Yeah, I, that's kind of how I read that where, yeah, for anything else that's not kind of the real-time app, it's a front-end talking to a back-end and then the back-end responding to the front-end. And that just happens over a WebSocket or over HTTP or however the heck else you want to do it. And Meteor just has a way of doing that just like everybody else does. Yep. Yeah, and it's nice. Like one package that's really important for us, we call accounts. That's the way to manage users. And it's like really simple to like manage user sessions and every app needs that. So a lot of people, they are using Meteor, like, and they are not using DDP like everywhere anymore. Because like you don't need real-time data all the time, but in the other parts of Meteor, it's so easy like to create an authentication system, to create a role system, to manage like permissions that people prefer to use Meteor because it's so easy. And also like we see many times people complaining about like configurations and compiling errors and a lot of stuff. Oh, I can't use this feature or I need to migrate and I need to change a lot of code. And that's not the case with Meteor because we have everything bundled in the same package. So we can control for you like these decisions and you can make sure it's compatible and even if you want to include more like you can include more Babel transformers if you want that's okay but at least the ones that you choose to be in the core we are sure that they are always working and you have like a bunch of tests to run before every release we have a a very good system to protect your app for breaking because this is really important for us we have business running with Meteor for more than 10 years so it's really important for us to provide a way for you to move forward without rewriting all your code like every two years and so it's very important for us to make sure we are not breaking things because we ourselves I can tell a little bit if you want about my story with Meteor because now I'm working for Meteor but before I was a user so I really understand the other side 
of this equation because I was in the other side worried if I would have a lot of breaking chains and if my business was going to fail. So it's it's really nice also if you want to talk about the, the other side, not as a meter maintainer, but also as a meter user. So I, I want to jump in real quick before we move on to that. So I'm looking at the documentation for this right now, and I'm trying to reconcile what I used to know about it versus kind of what it looks like now. To me, this kind of looks like it is a, what, what's the buzzword? No backend platform, but you're, you've got the quote unquote, no backend, either self-hosted or cloud hosted, because it looks like you're, you're just concerned with what's happening on the front end. Mostly you're, you're importing these meteor modules and they are, they're connected to the, the quote unquote, no backend magic. And so you're really, your concern is coding on the front end and letting Meteor handle a, a lot of the backend concerns for you. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, I would say kind of, because like you're correct in the way that like these GIFs and the way to send just the difference to the client Meteor is handling for you, but you really have the backend. Like you really have your Node.js app running in the backend, but it, you don't see this connection clear because we try to simplify for you, but the, but the backend is there. And if you really need to develop uh, a real app with a lot of actions, a lot of chains, you are going to write backend code for sure. Because like what is magic is how to publish the data. But for example, you need to write the logic to fetch the data. Because in the if you get the example from the game, if I return the data from the wrong session, like the users will be lost in the game, right? So you need to write this code to what is the data that I want from the backend. Maybe you don't need to worry about the configurations, like how I connect to this specific endpoint that is don't need to do because we do this for you but you need to write the code to respond to these actions do you understand that but in some cases like in the in the accounts package that i mentioned we handle that for you so we can we implement also the backend part how to authenticate a user how to create a user so in some cases you have packages that can do everything for you but when you, that when you are talking about your business you need to implement your code in the back end as well but for the packs that's a difference from meter packs and npm packages that you can control really well what's going to run in the client and what's going to run in the server so we have this very clear in meter packages so you can implement both sides for you right now we are working on a package that call accounts passwordless where you would be able to create like this authentication that people are using today that you just put the email then you receive a code in the email and so you can authenticate without a password so we are implementing the front end and also the back end so you can get both work for you out of the box but we are implementing this so for, code, your, you know? for your packages typically the front end and the back end go into the same package and if you import the front end code you use that on the front end if you import the back end code that's kept on the server it looks like maybe there's so you have your meteor startup and that that is where is that where you handle most of your backend code is in the Meteor startup? So if it's in the Meteor startup, it's the backend stuff. Otherwise, if it's in the templates, it's the front end stuff. Yeah, we have Meteor set up in the backend and in the front end. In the backend is the way for you to initialize. Maybe if you have like a, a rest endpoint, you are going to put this code inside the Meteor startup if you are using Express or whatever you are using. And in the front end, these Meteor startup methods, they are going to be called when the DOM is loaded. So we have basically the same API from the backend and from the front end, but the startup is like the starting point where you can put your code to be like executed when your app is, is ready. So, so how, how do you know 
which is the front end code and which is the back end code? How do you know what's going to run where? Yeah, we have a few ways. Like in the packages, it's a special case because you declare, like you have a package.js file that you declare, okay, this is my entry point that you call main module for the server. And this is my entry point that you call main module for the client. And in your own app, you have the same section that you need to include in your package.json. So you say, this is my entry point for my client and this is my entry point for my server. So from this entry point, Mitchell is going to start to parse your code and then it knows which is going to run in each environment. And you can also have code that's going to run on both. Because as I said, for the MongoDB, as we replicate this API in the client, you can also use the same code to run in the client and in the server. And that's the way that you can implement like optimistic update because you have the same code running in the server and in the client. But the way to specify is using main module. I think that this is a really important key point about Meteor that needs to be understood, that uh, Meteor creates this really significant layer of abstraction that you're working over that's much more significant than what many web developers are, are used to when they're working even with, with frameworks like, I don't know, like a Next or GraphQL or, what, or Apollo or whatever, that you're really abstracting all the data access. And I think that this aspect that you just referred to, the fact that you're writing code and uh, Meteor decides whether it should run in the client or run in the server or run both, and it's not really kind of your decision, it's, it's Meteor's decision where this code needs to go based on the functionality that it's, it uses and is being used for. Correct? Yes. When you are writing your code, you need to decide. But when you are just adding a package, we can decide for you. And that's correct. And also one nice thing about this control that we have, we have a feature that maybe we don't talk too much about it. But like in back in the days, it was really common to have like a very old browser, for example. Right now, it's it's becoming like less of a problem because everybody has these evergreen browsers. But Meteor can deliver a different version of your app for legacy browsers, for example. And that's really helpful because sometimes you have a client that they have a requirement that they need to run a very old browser. So Meteor does this bundle for you automatically. And Meteor can deliver the right bundle for the right browser. And that's only possible because we have code in the client and we also have code in the server, right? Because you need to know that the client is going to ask the code in a specific way so you can reply with a bundle in a specific way as well. Because otherwise, if you just if you were just like a platform for the front end, that was going to be impossible. And if you're just a platform for the back end, that was also going to be impossible. So that's kind of a unique advantage because you have the both sides so you can make the best decision for you. And you can even customize that. Okay, these browsers go to the bundle with the legacy code and this browser can go to the other code so you can, you can have a lot of control. And we also have have a special feature on top of that, that when you have your app running in a Cordova app, we can also deliver your code after you deploy to the store. So you send your app to the stores and you can update the code afterwards. So that's really helpful, for example, to fix bugs. And you also can control when you want to update the app in their phones, in the user phones. So it's really nice because you have the both sides. If you had just one side, all these features were not going to be possible. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of there was a service out there that would do kind of that hot update on JavaScript apps, on Cordova apps. Air something, right? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, but it's the same idea and it makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, if your code is JavaScript, then mm-hmm. it, you need to make sure that you're you know, in compliance with the various legalities of the app stores, but, uh, in, but from the technical perspective, it's really not, not an issue. Yeah, but, it's because uh, the app store treats the JavaScript as a static asset like an image or something else. Yeah, you need to be careful with those things. I dislike app stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just, just to explain that, like if you fix bugs or like simple changes, usually they are okay. Of course, you should not change your app because that technically right. is possible, right? I could release an app that does X and then I could release another app on the fly that does UI. So they are going to, of course, ban your app, but that's not the idea. The idea is just, okay, I have a bug here, so oh, I want to update it right now. I don't want to wait like one day for Apple to approve it. That's just the idea, like simple updates and not like changing a feature or whatever. And I think uh, if it was I, often I, abused, they shut it down. So, Yeah, again, uh, App Store, again, differentiate between policies and uh, legalese and uh, <laughs> the technicalities. But I do have another question about the operation of uh, Meteor because in a lot of ways, uh, especially given this description, it seems to be in the same category as application platforms in a lot of ways like Next.js or Nuxt or something like that. And in this context, I wanted to understand the generation of the HTML, the UI itself, is it only client side? Is it client side and server side? Uh, is there support for server side for server side rendering for static code generation, or is it only dynamic client side UI? How how does it work? Yeah, I will explain like how it works by default, and I will also explain another patch that we have that's also from the core that you can use in a different way. But by default, Metro has a something that's called boilerplate, so you can include your in your folders an HTML file. So this file is going to be delivered to your client by default. So what Meteor does in this boilerplate generation, Meteor already puts some tags for you. Which tags Meteor puts there? For example, your CSS. So Meteor can compress your CSS and you can use whatever you want. You can use size, you can use less. And Meteor is going to include the CSS tag header in your HTML. Meteor, of course, is also going to put like the JS tag there. So you can include your main bundle in your HTML. So you don't need to worry about that. And that's like the default. Like if you run right now Meteor Create and you look to the to the HTML that's generated in your browser, you're going to see these two tags there. Of course, in development, we deliver each module individually. And in production, we deliver just one bundle. And we can talk also about dynamic imports and everything with Meteor because we have a very good solution for this. And But just responding to your question about the server side, if you don't want to just deliver HTML with a, a bundle, you can also render tags in the server side. So we have a patch that's called server side. And in this patch, you have something that is, that's called sync. So we receive the sync object and there you have everything about the request. And so you can append tags to, to the body of the initial HTML. So you can use like React render to string or whatever you want and you can write the tags there. That's also something that was not available like five years ago. Maybe this patch is three years old. So right now you can also do server-side render with Meteor. Sometimes the community of Meteor, because we have a lot of developers, and sometimes they are confused because they say, oh, Meteor does not support this specifically in the server-side rendering. Because you need to remember, you have a lot of packages. You have more than 14,000 packages. So of course, not 
all the authors of all the packs, they are concerned about the case when you have server-side renders. So maybe you are going to choose a package that's going to work just in the client, and you can't use in the service because the author was not thinking about the server-side render. So not every feature of Meteor is going to be available out of the box in the server, but you can implement your, yourself or you can find a package that supports this use case. So this is important to understand. Like Meteor supports server-side renders, but that not doesn't mean that every feature in Meteor is going to work in both environments. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. And especially, I guess, you need to be careful if you rely on this stuff because, you know, like you said, you might be using the same Meteor backend with web frontend or with a native application frontend. And obviously, those represent really different scenarios. So server-side rendering would be relevant for the web, but wouldn't be relevant for the app. Yeah, and it's and you have control of this because we have this object where you send a lot of the data about your request, so you can make decisions like, oh, this app, this app is going to be rendered in a phone, or it's going to be rapid in a Cordova application, so I don't need to send this or that. So usually, like the apps, they do these kind of decisions, and we also have a lot of like white label apps with Meteor, so they decided if it's going to render like a, a blue background or a white background depending on the client, and you can also get this information from the Meteor connection. So you have all the options there in the server side. You can make your decisions. So I'm a little curious. Let's say that I decide, hey, I'm actually going to go build my Google Docs clone, right? Do I just NPM install and then just new something up? Is there like a Create Meteor app? I don't know. Yeah, so you just describe how it is. <laughs> like you just need to NPM install Meteor globally. So you have Meteor tool available in your system. And then you just run Meteor Create and the name of your project. And you can choose. You have a few skeletons that you call, like a template. If you don't specify anything, it's going to be React. But you can specify like Vue, uh, uh, Svelte, Angular, anything. And it's going to be created already with the best practice for this environment. And we also have tutorials. So if you go to Meteor.com, you have like developers, tutorials, and you can like maybe do a simple to-do just to to understand how it works behind the scenes. So have a step-by-step tutorials for every Y framework that you support. So you can just follow the steps. And at least you can see, oh, this is really nice. I want to learn more. And in the end of each tutorial, you can also deploy for free. We have a deploy option that is dash dash free when you deploy to our server. So you can run for free. Of course, it's a limited service that you you offer for free because we, we need to shut down your app if, you, if your app has no requests, but you can access again and then it's going to start again. But you can use for free for hobby projects or just to understand how it works. And like the Meteor deploy is really, is really nice. And it's also important for us because the way that Meteor makes money today 
is hosting apps. Like we have a lot of clients, thousands of clients, they host the apps with us and we have a service that was created thinking about Mitchell apps. So we have a lot of layers customized, like the way to scale up, scale down apps, create more containers. So all this infrastructure was created to support Mitchell apps in production. So you don't need to worry too much about like how to run a Mitchell app in production. We also have community tools that help you to deploy to AWS, to Google Cloud, whatever you want. But if you don't want to to worry about DevOps, you can just deploy with us. And this is important for the environment, you know, because we offer options to for you to deploy whatever you want. But if you deploy with us, this is also important for us because you, you can use this money to, to support the framework back. So they are like a, a good cycle between like the hosting tool and also the framework itself. But just to clarify, if I decide to host my Meteor app somewhere else, like you said, AWS or whatever, do I need to pay you or is it then like free to use? It's 100% free to use. You just pay us if you want to run with us. And remember, like when you run Mitchell Build, that's the command that you are probably going to run before you deploy it to in a, in a different place. Mitchell Build is going to result in a bundle, like in a Node.js bundle. So you don't need to worry, oh, but these guys are going to do in a different way that is going to lock me in the technology. No, because it's just Node.js in the fi final process. So if you get and you deploy using forever or you deploy in the same way that you deploy your Node.js app today, it's going to be exactly the same because actually it's a Node.js app. So Meteor is like a tool in development and Meteor is also a tool to provide you packages in runtime. But in runtime itself, it's not Mitchell anymore. It's Node.js in the server and JavaScript in the client. So you don't need to worry about like, oh, I'm going to need to pay this guy's money for my whole life because that's not the case. You can run whatever you want. We just have a service because we believe our service is the best way to host your Mitchell app. But if you don't, and a lot of people, they use Mitchell, but they don't use our cloud, our cloud because they prefer to host on their own. So that's, that's fair. And what part of the software, if any, is open source and what part? part is not like just what runs to like to runs the cloud is not open source but the software itself that you use to develop your app is 100% open source and MIT so you can fork it you can change it you're free to use as you wish just the the cloud part is not open source because it's like our business but it, we, what you have basically is a, is a bunch of services that we is they are written in go so they can orchestrate your containers they can deploy your app they can do all the work for you and pretty soon you are going to release like push deploy because right now you need to run a command to deploy and but we are going to provide a way for you to connect your repository on github so we can deploy for you as well so we are going to create a project and every time that you push to a specific branch, we are going to deploy for you. That's coming in probably one or two months. We are probably going to announce in the next conference, but I'm going. I'm providing a spoiler here. <laughs> and is there Spoilers. a preferred uh, testing uh, uh, framework th that you like to use, or something like that, or I, it's like agnostic? No, it's agnostic. Like you can you can test what the, the way that you prefer. You don't need to use a specific test framework to use it. And we also have frameworks for Meteor test specifically because, like I said, you have like web sockets in a few different environments that are not so common. So we have a few, we have a what you call driver package. So you can connect a driver so you can see the results of your test in the browser or in the console. And you have a lot of tests in our own project that you can see as examples, but you can run your 
test with Meteor in different ways. And we can also use Jest. Usually I use Jest to test things that are not related to Meteor. And I use the Meteor driver to test things that are more related to Meteor. Now, you mentioned that you can... Uh... That it'll be also interesting to talk about your own personal path into Meteor and potentially related to that. I know from my, uh, from my own experience, Meteor was really big a couple of years ago. And then it uh, kind of faded out uh, for a while. And then it, and now it seems to be making uh, something of a comeback. So I don't know if that's kind of related to your personal story or not. But uh, I think uh, that uh, both of these are something that worth talking about. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about myself. So I was a Java architect for many years, and I decided to kind of change my career and go more in a JavaScript direction. I don't know why. I think just because I think JavaScript is more fun to develop, but I, I still like live Java. It was like my first 10 years of development. And in this process, I found Meteor. And then I started to use Meteor like eight years ago. I, I think I say like eight, eight years ago for like two years. So maybe it's wrong, but about eight years ago. And then I started to really like study a lot about Meteor. Then I joined a company that was even sold like last year for another company, the event company. And I was working Meteor full time. And then I was contributing with a few PRs and I was getting involved in the community. And then Meteor was sold. I don't know if you know that, but Meteor was maintained and was created by the same guys that create Apollo. So these guys, they decide to sell Meteor and they sold Meteor to Tiny Capital. I don't know if you know Tiny, but Tiny buys a lot of companies. And the idea of Tiny is to buy a company to, to make this company like profitable and running. Like me, Tiny is not buying a company to sell the company. It's just to keep the company running. So Meteor uh, was acquired by Tiny. And in this time that I joined like the other side because I was just a an user. And then when Tiny acquired Meteor, they provided an email. He said, oh, if you want to say something about Meteor to us, just send an email to this like hello at Meteor.com. And I sent an email. I said, oh, I would like to help. Like if there is any way, like I see some things that I would do in a different way in Meteor. And if you would like my help, I am here when you can talk. So I start like as a part-time working as an advocate for Meteor. And then later I become like the CTO of Meteor. And a few months back, maybe like five months back, I become the CEO of Meteor. So now I am the CEO of Meteor, but I always li like to highlight that I'm working with Meteor today because I was a user of Meteor. Like it's not the other way. Like they hired me to be the CEO and I don't know anything about the product. I really love the project and that was, was my reason to join and to offer my help. And now I am in the other side, but I can see and I, expect, I, I hope that I can see the other side for many years. So I can understand like the user needs and how we need to improve the framework. And just to explain that you said about the fade out of Meteor and maybe we are trying a comeback as they are the team behind Apollo, they see they start to saw a lot of attraction in GraphQL. So they start to put a lot of effort in the Apollo part. And that was when Meteor was kind of like maybe a little bit slow in the improvements. So that's why they decided to sell Meteor, because for them it was better to to take care of Apollo and not to take care of Apollo and Meteor. But we have a good relationship with them. I still talk with them if you have questions. It's not that often, but they still support us. And they created the framework. So they were like, they had really, really nice ideas. So they are still around, but they are not the maintainers anymore. So now Tiny is the owner of Meteor. And we, we have a new team that's running Meteor nowadays. And in the last two years, we have done a lot. And we have upgraded everything. So everything is 
up to date, you are running like Node LTS, you're you are running Cordova LTS, you're running everything like in the latest version. So, and the community is growing, like Galaxy as a hosting is also growing. So we, I would say that we are in a good spot now again. And it was okay. Like it was just a business decision to focus in a specific solution. So they sold Meteor to Tiny and Meteor has like it, its own company now and not splitting the, the attention with, with Apollo. And most of uh, Meteor's development, I, given that it's an open source project, is most of it inside uh, company or is it uh, contributions from uh, as an open source or how is most of the development being done these days? I would say our community is great. Like if you see like how many PRs we have and how many contributions we have on every release, I would say the community is doing more than us. But of course, we do all the review. We do also work in like critical stuff like Node.js updates, Cordova updates. And we are also starting to create packages again. So we see the need for new things now because of course the world has changed. So we are also starting to add new core packages. Maybe it's 50 to 50, but I don't think it would be fair for the community. I think the community does more work now, but we are there supporting them and also organizing all this work because we need to release the versions. We need to provide feedback. So we are we are always around, but I think the community, they, does, they do a lot. Like, we have an initiative that's called Meteor Community Packages that a few people in the community, they organize themselves and they start to adopt packages that maybe the maintainer is not, was not using Meteor anymore. So like the community is really important for Meteor. I think that's what's really special about Meteor. We have a forum and we have a Slack and we're like we have people there like every day and they're answering questions, they are helping the beginners. So I think that's really a good value that we have in our projects. It's not just like the framework, it's not the, the code. We have a lot of people that really are passionate about Meteor and dedicate a lot about their lives to Meteor. I think that's really cool because what you see in a lot of open source projects, that even though they are open source, so theoretically they're open to everybody, in reality they're mostly maintained by uh, a particular company and most of the effort is done inside that company. So, you know, when you say that in your case, at, at least half the stuff is actually coming from really outside the company, from the community, I think that's really healthy for an open source project. Yeah, and, and it's even hard for us sometimes to manage everything that the community is doing because we need to, to review everything, you need to merge everything, you need to make sure like the quality is good. But our community is really great. Like sometimes you have some people that are reviewing a lot of stuff and they are just from the community. Sometimes we also have partnerships with the community. So we provide like a sponsorship package for them to work in a specific part of me. So I think we have a, a good relationship with the, the community. I'm a little curious, you know, moving a little bit more into like the sponsorship and the, the monetary and the company end of things. So Meteor, you give away for free, right? The framework is free to use. So it sounds like it's all supported by the hosting, right? So the, the party is paid for by people that are paying you to host their apps. And... I'm curious. Yeah, how do you how do you I guess manage all of the different aspects of this? Because it's one thing to run an open source project, and it's another thing to run an open source project well with the kind of support options that you've talked about with the forum and the Slack chat and some of the other stuff. And then it's another thing entirely to run a hosting company. So how do you reconcile and manage all that stuff? Yeah, that's a challenge. Like every day is a new challenge because as you can see, it's a lot of stuff. But usually like we, the community helps a lot. 
and I already said that many times, and but I want to say again. So the community they help a lot in the open source side. So that's it's good for us because if you didn't have the community, to be honest, it would be really hard to to maintain Meteor because Meteor is huge. Like if you start to look how many packs we have, how many things like we do bundling, we do compiling, we do like runtime packages, we do Cordova integration, like we do a lot of things. And of course, we could do that alone. We need the community, so the community helps a lot. But in terms of the company itself, we have like different teams. In some cases, we interchange, like some place people are going to work in the open source or they were going to work in the hosting. But we have people like uh, 24-7, like taking care of the hosting part. And we also have people all the time taking care of the open source part. And sometimes we change the teams a little bit, but I think that's the way to keep all the parts going forward. And, and we are expanding our team. We are always looking for like good options to improve our team but i think that's the way that you can keep like if you just focus like 100 of our team in one specific area the other area is going to to go down so i think that's the way that you can manage and the good parts like they have a good cycle between them you know because if the framework grows probably we are going to have more people hosting the app with us and if the hosting grows probably have more money to also invest in the framework so that's good because if it was not this way, it would be really hard to make decisions, you know? Like if this one, this part's good for the company, but this part's bad for the company. So how you make decisions? Because money is money is hard to, to manage. But both sides are going to bring money and going to improve. So I think that's what makes our life a little bit easier. But it's not easy, like because you need to, mm-hmm. to make decisions all the time. But I think we have a good balance right now. Like after two years already involved in Meteor, I think we have a good balance. Now, if I want to be involved in the Meteor community or maybe even in the Meteor, get in touch with the Meteor company, what would be the best ways to go about it? Yeah. If you want to get involved in the community, I would say like the Slack is the place that you can go and you have the links in our website and in our repository as well. But I think the Slack is the way that if you want to to ask you like a quick question or if you want to talk about like some idea is maybe the best way because people are online there almost all the time. But if you if you have have more audience, like more people to talk, the forums is the best way, forums.meter.com. But of course, you're not going to ask like a question with like five words in the forum because people are expecting like a post so they can understand what you're talking about. So if you have like a more formal question and if you have an issue, you also have the, the GitHub. And if you have proposals, ideas for the framework to be better or features that are missing in your opinion you also use github discussions so discussions is more like a formal way to to provide like a proposal oh i want to propose this feature because this is important blah 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 so you should use the github discussions and to hang out in the community you should use forums or slack and if you want to join the company or if you want to understand if you have positions available you can just send me an email philip at meter.com or you can send like support at meter.com and we are going to to talk to you hello at meter.com we have many emails that we are tracking and we reply to everybody so it's if you have like a question like oh Meteor is good for this case. Is Meteor good for my company? Feel free to send us an email that for sure you're going to receive an answer. And you can put these emails in the description as well. Very cool. So you, I think you mentioned a conference or something. So do you put on events for Meteor as well? Yeah, this conference starts from the community. As I said, the community helps a lot. But now we are kind of part, partnering with this guy that created this event. And it's called Meteor Impact. And it's going to happen in October 21 and 22 this year and uh, one week before 
the event, we are going to have a hackathon. So maybe if you have an idea and you want to try Meteor, uh, maybe you can make some money because we have one week hackathon that's going to happen before the Impact conference. So you, you should check it out, like impact.meteor.com. And you have all the description there, what are the prizes, but you have a good prize in, in money and also in hosting, database hosting. So you can maybe start your company and make some money. So you should check this page, impact.meteor.com. Awesome. Anything else, guys, before we go to picks? I would like to highlight just to just to provide some ideas for people they can investigate yeah. later because I think it's something that is unique to Meteor and I just want to mention here because in some cases it's really helpful. Uh, it's about like a very technical part but it's about nested imports. Have you guys heard about nested imports? Mm, no. Uh, so nested import is a way that you can import a different module in JavaScript inside another block. So instead of importing everything in the top of the files, you can import like, for example, you have a very specific library that just using a very specific case and that's a huge library. So you don't want to evaluate this library in the in the startup phase. You want to evaluate this library only when this library is really necessary. And focusing the word like evaluated. I'm not talking about dynamic imports that you download the library later, but I'm talking about like evaluating the library later. So you can avoid the the time spent like evaluating a huge file just importing in any level. That was a proposal that unfortunately it was it's it's not going forward, at least for now, in ECMAScript, but you had implemented this in Meteor. And if you imagine like a Cordova app that in some case you are running in a, in a phone that's not that fast, it's really helpful to have like nested imports so you can defer the evaluation of a huge file. So your app can start really fast and you just evaluate the specific file when you need it. So it, it was a proposal from one old member of Meteor that was Benjamin and, and this guy is really amazing. And the, so it is implemented in Meteor and it's really hard to achieve the same benefit in a different environment. But that doesn't mean that Meteor don't, don't provide dynamic imports, like imports that you just download on the fly. We also have that. And the way that you have that, you have a hash for each file. So you have like a very specific cache. So if you have your, the version one of your app with like 100 dynamic imports, and then the version two of your app, you just change one, file, all the other like 100 files are going to be in the cache and Meteor is going to fetch in the fly just the specific module that you that you changed it. So it's also really good to use Meteor using dynamic imports because your, your bundle is not going to grow all the time because you can dynamic import almost everything. And when you, are, you change just the dynamic module, one dynamic module, it's going to download just this specific dynamic module because most of the solutions out there, they're going to download like all the vendors again or all the modules again. So Meteor is very specific in the way that it provides the dynamic map for your app so it can fetch just the specific map file that was changed. So that are like two features, Meteor, that are really great. Just to clarify, I guess this is kind of related to the fact that, as you mentioned before, you, you actually have your own bundler. And instead of using uh, Webpack or some other uh, general purpose bundler, you're using your own. So I guess the, the import statements that you use, whether they're static or whether they're dynamic, or whether they're static and their scope are actually translated to instructions to your own bundler, I guess. So uh, something that would be a global static import, I guess, would likely be bundled within the same file or something like that. Something which would be dynamic 
per your description, I understand, would be bundled as a separate file. And with scoped static, I'm not sure what you do. <laughs> yeah, but you you got it. Like it's exactly as you described. Like we have a importer that is the the file name in our code and it analyzes all the way that you import your files so it classifies as nested import dynamic import or static import and so you can split the files in different way and you don't need to worry about that you don't need to declare anything anywhere like meter is going to create the tree for you and it's going to publish just your main bundle and the other bundles like in uh, in different files. And we also provide a map. So your client it knows like, oh, when I see this specific import, I need to ask for this specific file. So a post request goes to your server and then you get the file that you need. So that's possible because you have our own bundler. It's called so, like Rayfy, oh. this way to inter interpret the modules. It's an open source as well, so you can see it there. Some people use it in other projects as well, because it's a way that you can use ECMAScript modules in any Node version. Even very old Node versions, it's going to work with Rayfy. So code splitting, tree shaking, stuff like that are things that seem to be more or less automatically taken care of for you based on, on sort of a static analysis of your code. Yes, exactly. Like Actually, like the tree shaking feature, like the tree shaking, like the classic tree shaking, we are going to deliver probably in a few months because we, we are working on other like stuff in the bundle before that. But you have like the tree shaking in a way like you can export to dynamic module, so it's not going to, to be in your bundle. So it kind of has almost the same effect. But the tree shaking, the classic one, is still coming. But it's, it's going to be really, really good as well because you have all the tree, so you can really go in every level of the AST and you can really get just the code that is going to be used. But yes, we have a different way to, to handle like tree shaking, that code elimination because we have our own bundle. Sometimes that's a problem because you need to like, okay, now Webpack has this and then you need to research how to, do, to have the same feature. But in some cases, like we can have some unique features that you can see elsewhere because we have our own bundler. And, and if you want, you can also use Webpack with Meteor. Like, as I said, the community is really great. You have a package that's called Meteor Webpack. So you can replace the bundle system of Meteor with Webpack, but that's not supported by our team. It's just uh, from the community. Cool. All right. Well, we're kind of at the end of our time. Before we go to picks. Uh, Felipe, how do people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? Yeah, I use Twitter. Like, so Felipe Nevola, it's my name, F I L I P E N E V O L A. And also, I am kind of starting a project. The idea is not to teach Meteor, it's to teach people how to code. I already have a few projects like this in Brazil, but now I'm starting one that is also in English that's called How to Create an App.dev. So I'm going to put a lot of content there, and the idea is to be interactive so people can upvote what is the topic that they want to learn next. So we can build this together. And of course, I have a huge list of topics there. So I need help, like, what is the next one that I should record? And I also have some live recordings in this in this channel. It's a YouTube channel and also a website. So if you want to learn JavaScript and if you want to learn like from the basics to advanced, I'm going to use Meteor in a lot of modules, but I'm not going to teach just Meteor. So it's a nice way for you to, to learn and you have a Discord channel so you can ask questions. How to create an app.dev is a way that you can also contact me. Awesome. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, 
how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. I'm definitely going to be checking that series out. Uh, Steve, do you want to start us off with the picks today? Yes. Considering that I've contributed so much to this conversation, I'll, uh, you know, I know the high point of this podcast for many listeners is the dad jokes. So I'll, uh, I'll throw a couple in here. So my, uh, my daughter, let me, let me unmute my mic so that we can be, let's all unmute our mics so we can be ready to give you the true <laughs> joyous laughter. <laughs> I'm already I don't want to miss it this time. Yeah. <laughs> may or may not be worth laughs this time. We'll see. So my, my son and my daughter work at a restaurant here in town and my, my daughter's a, a server. And she told me this story, how one day she came up to this, this couple that was, uh, at the table and she said, comfortable, sir. He said, no, no, come for food. Oh, come for a table. A wide Did smile. It? Not quite a laugh, but right. a wide smile. Right. So I was talking to uh, a new member at our, the gym that I go to and, you know, getting nowhere. And I said, so do you have any children? She said, yeah, I have one that's just under two. I said, I know how many one is. But <laughs> That's actually good. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, that's all I got from Pixar. All right. AJ, what are your picks? Okay. So as always, I've got some good ones here. First of all, I'm going to pick X Mission. They are a, they market themselves as an ISP that believes in the constitution. Actually, I don't know if that's what they market themselves as, as much as that's just what they are. And it's very apparent, but they do have blog articles, a privacy pledge, a transparency report, and they do not, they do not take down accounts without due process. So they don't take down accounts based on what someone says on Twitter. They don't take down accounts based on uh, political whatever, whatever of the time. And they don't take down accounts if the, the, the legal process was not filed appropriately and legally. So, of course, their, their hosting costs are a little bit more because they're a smaller company and, you know, they occasionally have to deal with bad actors and, and the good actors have to absorb the cost of that legal action to, and, and, you know, extra personnel time to some degree. But th I think that it's something worth knowing about in the world that we're living in where, you know, somebody says something nasty on Twitter and then all of a sudden a website goes down and you wonder, well, what, what the heck happened there? How is that? How is that? Okay. So wanted to pick them. Also, I'm going to pick base 2048, which 
We all know about base two. We all know about base 10, 16, 64, but did you know you could take it to 2048? So base 2048 is a word dictionary that you can use for client side encryption and client side cryptography. So it, it, hold on, my daughter's messing around here. Just one second. <laughs> Give me a minute, sweetie. Give me a minute. Will you go to mommy for just a, a minute? Hmm? Yeah, she, might. she was the best part of your picks, AJ. My daughter is one of my picks. She is absolutely beautiful and lovely and funny and smart and the greatest two-year-old of all two-year-olds. So I, I, I would happily pick her as well. But as I was saying about Base 2048, you can use it for client-side cryptography because it's something that you can easily transfer from one computer to another offline by just looking at the words on one computer and then typing them in again on the other computer. And so I made a browser library for that. It's, it comes out of the Bitcoin community. So most of the libraries that I found are heavy into other features related to Bitcoin. But I find that the technology all on its own is quite useful. And I'm not really interested in using all of the other things. And so I just wanted something small and light that I could bring in for this specific purpose. Very similar to BraveSync and some of those other things. So I'll link to that. And then uh, Mistborn, The Final Empire. If you have not read or listened to Mistborn, you should. I've got another book I'll pick next time. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But we've talked about Mistborn a couple times mm -hmm. on the show. I just wanted to officially pick it again. And then, of course, if you want to follow my live streams or Beyond Code, I've got links to that as well and those are that's my cool stuff for the day all right dan what are your picks i've got uh, two picks for you today the first is a blog post written by uh, shahar talmi who's the head of uh, front-end engineering at wix very smart person and he wrote a blog post about taking micro front ends to the next level Specifically, uh, we use the micro front-end paradigm extensively, especially in everything having to do with uh, the back office part of, uh, of Wix. As you can imagine, we have a lot of dashboards uh, that our users use to control, configure, monitor their, their websites, a lot of components in there and uh, that are developed by the various groups because, you know, uh, the, the people who deal with e-commerce, they need to develop the e-commerce dashboards, then there are the booking dashboards and, and events and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, effort around uh, how to best integrate all of these uh, aspects together. And Shachar uh, has written an excellent and very thorough and extensive post about it, very technical, goes into a lot of the processes that we employ. Also very interesting if you're just involved in, in, in front-end or web development uh, on a large scale. Uh, so I highly recommend uh, this post and I'll, add, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So that would be my first pick. My second pick has to do with uh, browser choice or lack thereof on iOS. A lot of people are in the, have the misconception 
that you can pick your browser on iOS, that you can use the built-in Safari, but if you don't like it, then you can use uh, Chrome or you Free can use Safari. Firefox. But they're all really Safari on the inside. Yep. It's actually even worse. They're, they, they're using like, uh, what's it called? The WebView version of Safari, which is like Safari Lite or Safari, the stupid version, or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and it's really unfortunate because uh, Safari is lacking a lot of features that are available in other browsers on other platforms. And uh, if you think that you can get these features by using those browsers on iOS, well, guess what? You can't. For example, uh, progressive web apps, which uh, had, uh, have had the potential of really invigorating mobile web development, are stunted because uh, Apple does not support them in Safari for what feels to be business reasons. And, for example, you can't use push notifications from inside web, uh, uh, web uh, pages on, on iOS. And again, it doesn't matter which browser you're using because you would think, you know, Chrome supports push notifications, but again, it doesn't support them on iOS because it's not really Chrome. Alex Russell, who was a guest on our podcast in episode 439, and I highly recommend listening to that uh, episode as well, he's written an excellent blog post about this, uh, si- this really unfortunate situation uh, titled Hobson's Browser because it's really a Hobson's choice of uh, which browser to use on on iOS. And I will link to that post as well. We are really trying to make some noise around this in the hope that we can push, shame, force Apple to like improve the browser situation on iOS because the current situation is really bad in my pers- in my opinion for the web as a whole. So that would be my uh, my second pick. And those are my picks for today. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to throw out a few picks. Just going to remind people about podcastbootcamp.io. It's where you can go figure out how to get your podcast launched. Yeah, I've been fleshing it out. It'll be awesome. Going to walk you through kind of the first handful of episodes you want to put up, help you figure out who your audience uh, is, all that stuff, teach you how to connect, teach you how to grow. It's going to be awesome. I'm also going to throw out a couple of book picks. That's kind of become my thing just because I listen to books while I'm training for my triathlon, which means hours and hours per week. So lately I listened to a book called Tribe of Millionaires. And it's one of those kind of allegorical books, you know, where they tell a story and teach a lesson. And it was really, really good. Kind of outlines the power of mastermind groups and the people you spend time with. And so I'm going to pick that. God, I got so many other things that I'm chasing, but uh, that's kind of my main pick. I'm also really liking Groove Funnels, which is kind of a blend of like Click Funnels and Kajabi and <laughs> a whole bunch of other stuff that I've been using in the past that I've all kind of blend, been blend. It's all it's all in one place, which is really nice. So I'm going to pick them. And then I'm also just going to mention, since we're using Riverside today, if you notice that things sound a little bit different, maybe a little bit clearer, things like that, it's because we're using Riverside. It's an in-browser, what, conference call recording setup. It's built for podcasts. The thing that's really nice about it, though, is that it captures all the audio locally, 
which means that we get a much higher quality and it puts everybody on their own track. And so if somebody's air conditioner comes on or somebody's daughter walks into the room or something like that, we can drop that off the audio. And then at the end of the day, it all sounds fine. So like if one of my kids came in, my kids are all at school, but if one of my kids came in like because of summer or whatever, or my father-in-law drops by to borrow a tool and he walks in here, while AJ's talking, AJ can just keep talking and it'll work out. Or there was a, a point where Dan kind of, his his audio faded or sounded weird for a minute. And it recorded it all locally, so it'll be fine. And that's kind of the thing that we're looking at. So anyway, I'm really digging it. And I guess that leads a little bit back to the podcast uh, boot camp one more time. I'll, I'll basically give you the walkthroughs on how I do all this stuff. So if you're looking for how to use Riverside or how to use some of these other things or, you know, what do I even talk about or who do I get as hosts or how do I get artwork done? I, I walk you through all of it. And there are ways to do it on a budget if you're on a budget and there are ways to do it and just get it done fast if you're not. So anyway, riverside.fm. I'll actually put uh, an affiliate link in. That way I get paid if you sign up. It costs you the same either way. So I'd appreciate that. And then uh, the podcast bootcamp.io. All right, Felipe, what are your picks? I will do, I think, a shameless plug here because I have one idea that's boring me for like a many, many years and I may start to develop it, but I would like to have some feedback if it's worth or not. So if you can get to lemeno.io, like let me know, but lemeno, so just like the syllabus, not everything. So the idea is just to have like an aggregator of content because I'm missing it like since the early days with Google Reader. I don't know if you remember Google Reader. That was a nice way to aggregate your, your feed. So I am thinking about this idea for many years and I, st I will start to develop it pretty soon. So if you, want, if you have any problem like consuming content in the internet, you could go to lemeno.io. The landing page is not live yet, but it will be. So you can just like talk and see if it works like the way that I'm thinking. That's my shameless plug. We should talk. I'm working on something kind of similar. Okay, cool. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Felipe. Thank you. It was great. All right. We're gonna yeah, it's, uh, it's great to hear that uh, Meteor is alive and kicking. Well, and that it's got good stewardship, too, because a lot of times yeah. you see them kind of fall apart because they lack that. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.